The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and behind the glass is Rocket Man Andy Bishop. <laughs> I don't know if that joke works when what you is can't that see called? me. Oh, Doppler effect. The Doppler effect. Yeah, yeah. that's very good. I uh, for those in the I put my head past the microphone quickly and yeah. <laughs> made a car noise. <laughs> it looks very cool. Yeah, we don't have anybody in the studio with us. We're just doing this. Uh, guys, we finally reached it. We hit the very last testimony uh, that we have of the series, and it is my pal, Michael Sullivan. Now, he wasn't my pal before. I just met Michael this year, but uh, we've built a good friendship. He's a great guy. He wrote the book, House Divided, and the book, Armageddon Deception. And this guy is like a mental giant. I just, I mean, he wouldn't like me to say that because it would blow up. You know, he's very humble, very nice guy, but he really is a mental giant. And his personal testimony is just, it'll blow you away. So, hope you guys like it. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should leave all that in and the laugh and everything. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, everybody. It's Andy. Uh, just a quick note that uh, there's a couple times in this recording where people off mic are attempting to talk, and I tried to make it as audible as I could, but you can't really understand it all that well. But I feel like the thrust of uh, what people are trying to say comes across. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and thank you so much. I'm just uh, playing with levels while you guys talk. So we are rolling. Yes. All right. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, well, Mike, we've been talking about this for quite some time. Amen, brother. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, we are in the Berean Bible Church Sanctuary. Is that what you call it? You guys call it Sanctuary here? Yes, we've made the Auditorium. Yes. The recording studio. And uh, you are our final testimony of the day. All right. Yeah, so my question... I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, he said, Glenn Hill said, praise the Lord. Yeah, he's hungry. He's ready to eat. <laughs> so uh, you've heard me ask all the questions, right? Mm-hmm. The first question, can you tell me the earliest memory of when you heard the name Jesus Christ? Brother, that is the most important question. I love to share how Christ saved me. Um, my, You know, a common theme here is that a lot of people come from broken families, like divorced families, and uh, that... That was my situation. I grew up with my mom. My mom had me when she was 15. My dad was 18. That didn't last long. So it was just kind of me and mom. And she uh, made the move from Redding, California to Southern California. And she put me in a Christian school. So that was Maranatha Christian Academy, affiliated with Pastor Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa the main Calvary Chapel there. And so, you know, during the summertime, we'd go to youth camps, you know, they'd always preach some kind of emotional thing. And, you know, you'd be, everyone would be crying and you'd raise your hand and do all that stuff. And I remember doing that. Um, But I did not have any 
recollection of having a good relationship with the Lord. Never had a desire to read the Bible. Um, so I'm not sure what happened there. I'm not sure if I was a professing Christian. I'm not sure if I, I was saved, but, you know, something else needed to happen. Or if I, I probably just didn't understand what grace was in the whole thing. But there was just no relationship. And went into high school, um, public high school. My gods were sports and, and girls. That, that's what my life was all about. And uh, I was very good in sports, in basketball and volleyball. And that was my identity. I'd go to parties and everyone would know me because, you know, oh, he can dunk a basketball and all this stuff. Yeah, but I, like Pastor Curtis, I didn't read. And just from a young child, I, I could not read out loud very well at all. In fact, in school, if I had to read out loud, I would just walk out of the class. Yeah. Um, just because we moved so much with my mom that I never really settled in one school long enough to really get into the curriculum. So all of my identity was in sports and girls because that's what I was good at. Um, always the fastest runner and so forth. So at the end of high school, when I didn't get the sports scholarship that everyone was gonna, told me I was going to get, my world became, it just started falling apart. And so I was holding on to sports and this one girlfriend I had. Well, God, let go of the sports. And that just rocked my world. And then within a couple of weeks, my girlfriend broke up with me. And so everything I had been living for, it was, was gone. And uh, I became very suicidal and I ran across this bridge, and I remember crying, and I was going to jump off, but I, I looked up at the stars, and I was like, started thinking about God, and I was like, God, you've done this to me. You know, my life is miserable because, because you've led me here. And there was no audible voice or anything, but it was just in my conscience, in my mind. It's like, Mike, you're, you're reaping what you've sown. You're, you know... You've reaped the flesh. You, you've gone your own way, and so you've reaped all this confusion in your life. You haven't put me first. And it was just like, boom. I began weeping with so much joy because I was able at that point to lay down my life so that I could find it in Christ. And he just gave me that, that gift of faith. Now, I didn't realize any of that. I didn't know I was chosen, didn't know any of that at this point. So I kind of thought I saved myself to a certain extent. But I just knew that God had done something really radical in me. And I prayed. That the first thing I prayed after that was, Lord, I want to understand your word. Because before I didn't read anything. And before it was like the Bible, when I'd go to these youth camps, you know, you'd have to read the Bible and talk about it. And it's like, well, I didn't even want to read out loud. I didn't even want to read it. It seemed very difficult. I didn't want anything to do with the Bible. And so now it's like, wow, I really want to know your word. It was the only thing I asked for. So I went home that night. I stayed up until like three, four in the morning, just reading the Bible. I couldn't stop reading the Bible. I mean, this was constant. And, um, I ended up getting kicked out of my house because my stepdad said, I'd rather him be a punk rocker than a Christian. So I ended up um, staying with some people that were kind of like my grandparents, kind of adopted grandparents. They owned a Christian bookstore, Maranatha Village. 
And so they gave me a job at the bookstore and I met some friends and I began going to Calvary Chapel again. And I was going to Calvary Chapel and I was going to Vineyard. So I was going to John Wimber's church and I was going to Pastor Chuck Smith's church. And I went to every service I could. And at a big church like that, you could go five, nine. I mean, they always have something going on. So I went to everything and I was listening to tapes and, and the people that were, I was living with, you know, they were, they had some money and they were like, there's something going on with this kid. You know, let's, let's uh, send him to Bible college. And, and they told me about it. I was like, what? There's a place where you just study the Bible? You know, I, yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So I went to Calvary Chapel Bible College. Um, man, that was just a great time in my life because... So this is kind of like a foster family for you. Um, yes. That I are mean, sending you to college. Yeah, yeah. To a Bible college. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty it, cool. It was a two-year Bible college. Wow. And so I went there and um, Richard Gosswiller was the director there. And he was a four-point Calvinist. Of course, it was still charismatic, dispensational, premillennial. Um, but, you know, we'd have Ephesians at, you know, from eight to nine. And then we'd have an Old Testament from nine to ten. And then we'd have church history. And then we'd have an elective apologetics or something like that. And I just was learning so much. Hermeneutics and, and uh, the classes that really... I, I will always remember our attributes of God, hermeneutics, well, th four, Ephesians and Romans. Yeah, those classes changed my life and taught me how to study. And uh, it was a really good foundation. I became really close to the director and the main teacher there. I even ended up dating his daughter. And, um, and at some point I go back to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and I start teaching. And um, it was in a junior high. And I said, well, before I really get into this teaching too much, I need to meet with Pastor Chuck Smith and let him know that I'm at least a four-point Calvinist and that if I teach something, I will make sure to represent his view and my view. You know, I'm not going to shove Calvinism down anyone's throat. Well, I meet with him and he says, well, Mike, you'd be better off if you went to a church that's more like-minded. And he ends up firing the guy that was heading up the Bible college, but they'd had conflict long before this, but because um, a lot of students were kind of ratting him out. And, and, he's, and he told Chuck, he said, look at my syllabuses. I teach Arminianism, I teach Calvinism. I let the kids, you know, decide, but they were all coming out Calvinistic. And um, because he was teaching both sides. And uh, so, I was like, well, Lord, where do you, where do you want me to go now? What do, what do I do? And so I ended up going to the master's college, uh, Pastor MacArthur's college and church. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to fit in there either, but at least he's a four-point Calvinist, and at this point he was. And, uh, and I'm a, But I'm a charismatic, and I'm like, but I'm open, because I've seen some really weird things in the vineyard, and I think I speak in tongues, but it just sounds like something I'm repeating. So I'm kind of open, but I have my arguments, and I want to see if I can be convinced. So I go to college there, and I remember walking with Pastor MacArthur at the college grounds, and I said, Pastor, uh, you know, I come out of Calvary Chapel, and uh, I've seen a lot of abuses, and you talk about a lot of the abuses in the charismatic movement. Um, and that's fine and dandy, but I have four arguments. And if you can convince me 
you know, that these are wrong, then I, I won't be a charismatic anymore. Uh, number one, if we're still in the last days, according to Acts 2, this, this should still be going on. Uh, if the Great Commission is not fulfilled, Mark 16, 15, 17, and Matthew uh, 28, 18 through 22, if the Great Commission isn't fulfilled, then tongues should be continuing and casting out demons and so forth. Um, and then if we're in the already not yet of the kingdom, part of kingdom evangelism is the gifts. And then lastly, of course, 1 Corinthians 13, if that which is perfect hasn't come, the second coming and the arrival of the new creation, then tongues, prophecy, and knowledge are still here. And all he did was really say, well, you need to read this book of mine. You need to read that book of mine. And I said, I said, I have. <laughs> I said, but I'm yeah. not really getting anything on these, on these arguments. And um, so... My, pa my pastor, like I said, or my friend got fired, and I, I got really depressed because I almost felt like I was responsible. So I took a few days off, and I just fasted and prayed, and I, I prayed specifically about limited atonement. I'm like, Lord, have I gone too far with this Calvinism, or have I not gone far enough? And I was working in the bookstore at Grace Community and uh, during this time, and a guy comes up to the book counter, and he slaps down this book, and it was the Five Points of Calvinism by somebody. And now normally, I would have picked a fight with him. I would have said, what about that limited atonement? It's logical, but it's not biblical. And then I would have given him my three or four passages that I thought refuted it. And so he put it down, and I, and I said, well, what about that limited atonement? And I kind of caught myself. I was like, okay, but I, I want to be teachable. I want to be open. And he's, he just looked at me and he says, I'm teaching a Bible study. We're going through R.C. Sproul's series on the doctrines of grace. We're, we're going to talk about limited time, and I want you to be there. Normally, I wouldn't have went. I would just argue with him. It would have just been another day. But I'm like, okay, maybe this is God's providence. I need to check this out. So I go to the Bible study. Sure enough, you know, we, we study the high priesthood of Christ. Christ is he's the sacrifice for the covenant people, and he prays for the covenant people. Um, so, and there's a couple texts that I had some issues with and they helped me with them. And so now I'm kind of a fish out of water. I'm at the master's college. Pastor MacArthur doesn't believe in limited atonement at this time. And all my teachers and the other students are telling me I'm a hyper Calvinist. I'm not a hyper Calvinist. I believe in evangelism, but they, they thought a hyper Calvinist was someone who believed in limited atonement because they all were four point Almoraldians. And, uh, so I said, wow, I don't know how this is going to work out. And so I had a speech. Well, we go on a college break. I go to Post Falls, Idaho, because the people that are financially supporting me, that's where they are. So they invite me up. I meet a guy there named Dale Lavoie, and he's a partial preterist. And he says, I want you to read this article from my pastor. He had written a uh, an article in the newspaper, and it was just a partial preterist exegesis of Matthew 24. I was like, man, this makes so much sense because of the hermeneutics. I'm like, okay, this generation, the world, you know, uh, the gospel has been preached in all the world. Yeah, we want to look at the Greek word. We want to know how it's used. And I was like, apocalyptic language. I'm like, this is solid stuff. So I said, I want to talk to your pastor. So I talked to the pastor. I said, I want to know every book you've read on this. Whatever this is, I got to know it. 
And um, so, you know, I get The Beast by Gentry. I get Chilton's works. I get DeMar's works. I get Marcel's. I mean, I get everything. So I, uh, I'm reading it, and I'm like, I guess I'm a post-millennialist because I'm a pre- a, a pre- because this Predator stuff is cool. But I don't know about this theonomy th- stuff, you know, about, you know, killing heretics or, or unbelievers and stuff. But um, so it, it makes the most sense to me. So I have to give a speech, a persuasive speech in my uh, speech class. So I, I, I know what I'm going to do because they're all Christians, right? It's a Christian college. I'm going to give a speech on the tribulation, and I'm going to show how the great tribulation was fulfilled in AD 70 and that there was a coming of Christ in AD 70. So I do this. this I think I do. This is at MacArthur's school. Yeah, this is at MacArthur's. Yeah, that's a good, a good move. Yes. And, I, and I, think, I think at the end of it, I think, man, I nailed this. It's this persuasive. Is, yeah, this was persuasive. <laughs> All these guys are just going to, they're, you know, clearly they're going to be partial predators. So at the end, it's like, all these questions. You're saying the second coming happened. No, no, no. You don't understand. There's a coming and then there's the coming. Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. Now, as they're saying that, I'm thinking in my mind, yeah, I know it doesn't make any sense <laughs> because I'm having the same issues. It's like, I don't get this. And, the, and so I'm also at the same time doing a report on the kingdom of God. Um, and I'm seeing how dispensationalism is wrong. And even, well, I kind of skipped a step. Before I was a, before I got a hold of partial predators material, I moved from dispensationalism to all millennialism. Mm -hmm. And I was really happy with that because it was just one coming of Christ, not a rapture, and then a second coming. It was just really easy. But then the partial predators thing just kind of rocked my world again. And so I, I started getting disillusioned with partial preterism because when you leave dispensationalism, you're frustrated because you have two of everything, right? You got two, you have two gospels sometimes. You have two kingdoms, two peoples of God, you know, two comings, a rapture coming for the church, and then another coming to usher in the millennium for, the, for Israel. But then I started seeing partial preterism. It has two of, it's, it's even worse. It's got two comings of Christ, two parousias. It's got two passings away of the, new, of the first creation, two arrivals of the new creation, um, at, at this point, two resurrections, right? And two judgments of the living and the dead. And I'm like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. But it, it, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. Sounds like twice the fun. Yeah. <laughs> So, I, uh, so I'm like, what am I going to do? And so I'm reading David Shilton's, like, uh, you are. And um, I get to a point, I think it's about page 500-something. I'm doing something on Christ coming as a thief. And I'm looking at all the parallels between Matthew 24 and 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. And I'm like, That's, I mean, Paul's just saying the same thing that Jesus did. So this rapture thing and this resurrection thing had to have been fulfilled. And so I'm reading Chilton, and sure enough, he takes, in one sentence of of Days of Vengeance, he says, Christ coming as a thief in Matthew 24, I think it's verse 43, he says that was fulfilled in AD 70. Now you have to remember, at this stage, this is like 1990, 91, something like that. 
all of their material, right, Bob? I mean, uh, House Divided, Jeff, as you had mentioned, House Divided, the breakup of dispensationalism. I was reading that. All of their exegesis only went from Matthew 24, 1 through 34. And then they would just say, 35 and 36, they're, that, that's the second coming on. And that was it. They didn't even give any exegesis of that. And the reason is, is because they want to get rid of all the bad stuff so they can promote uh, post-millennialism. That's kind of really the gig on that. But um, So I was like, Chilton did something he's not supposed to. He just said this second coming section was fulfilled in AD 70. And I, and I was thinking, that's what I think. I think there's only one coming of Christ, and it happened in 87. I've got to talk to this guy. So I'm really aggressive. I mean, if I want an answer to something scripture, I call up. I'll show up at your house. I mean, that's just, I'm a really all-or-nothing, zealous kind of guy. So I call up David Chilton. He's in Placerville. My roommate is in Sacramento uh, in, in college. So I go there. I go to Chilton's house. He says, yeah, I'm doing something with the youth. Youth, come with me. We're going to get some pizza. And I said, so I went with him. I said, man, I've read all your stuff. I said, but there's something that just really stood out. And he says, well, what's that? I said, so in Matthew 24, you take all of Matthew 24 and 25 as the coming of Christ in AD 70? And he didn't answer. And I said, because look right here, you say that Christ coming as a thief happened in AD 70, but everyone else is saying that's the second coming. And I said, what about all these parallels between Matthew 24 and 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5? And I had it written out, you know. And, um, and he just smiled. I just, I'll never forget it, man. He just smiled at me. He didn't answer my question. And he said, you need to read a book. And I said, what book is that? James Stuart Russell, The Parousia. All right. And I said, why? He says, just get the book. <laughs> I said, okay. Yeah. So that was it, right? But I, I remembered him smiling and everything and not really answering the question. So I go back to my dorm, breaks over. I get the book in the mail. First thing I do is go to the Olivet Discourse. Start reading it. It's like, he doesn't divide up the Olivet Discourse. There's one coming of Christ. It happened in 8070. I said, I'm not crazy. I remember just jumping up and down in my dorm room because I was so happy that I wasn't crazy. Someone else actually believed what I was thinking. I was like, I got to get a hold of this guy. And he's like, oh, he's dead. He's long dead. But I'm thinking, but I'm thinking, well, this was a book. It was written or it was published by Baker. You're so devoted. You went back in time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> get up. <laughs> pull, pull in Elijah, just lay in his grave. Get up. <laughs> Oh, boy. But uh, so anyway, I, I was like, there's got to be other people out there that believe this because this is a book and other people surely have read it. So I, I start uh, on that journey. But before I, I share the rest of it, I had been praying about a lot of things. I'd been praying about the charismatic gifts. I'd been praying about my eschatology and I've been praying about, you know, limited atonement. And through preterism, all of these things started coming together. Now I could go back to my four arguments that I gave Pastor MacArthur on the gifts and notice how, oh yeah, the Great Commission was fulfilled, all right? Um, we're not in the already not yet of the kingdom. Uh, Christ has come. We're face to face with him in the new creation. And 
I was just like, Lord, you're so good. You're, you're so faithful. And I end up going, talking about Reformed Baptist Church, I end up going, to, moving to Sacramento and um, going to a Reformed Baptist Church for about a year, Emmanuel Baptist. And I was told I cannot be a member because I was a full preterist, but I can attend the church and I can't talk to anyone really about it. Well, you can't shut my mouth about it. So that, that didn't work out real well. But I just remember them, it was such a big deal to change in their London Baptist 1689 that the Antichrist is not the Pope. Like, that was such a big deal. I mean, it was a huge. And I'm like, man, you guys don't even have a clue how much you have to change on your eschatology in this creed. But they didn't want to listen to me. I was just some young buck. Um, so, you know, from there, I, I, I've... I share preterism with someone uh, in another church. They become a preterist. I go to church there. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't work out. But from there on, it's just it, it was a journey. It was just meeting people like Ken Davies, David Green, you know, and eventually guys in the Berean Church here. But. Um, God had reserved 7,000 for himself that did not bow the knee to futurism. And it, it was so great going from that place of, am I the only one to, oh, no, God has his remnant. You know, God has. And God always works through the remnant. And he seems to always work through the people that aren't the highly educated sometimes. He likes to confound the wise. So I don't mind being a driving a truck. And I don't mind knowing that I could probably go into any cemetery or cemetery. Yeah. Some of Mars cemetery. You're going to lay out a bunch of graves. Yeah. Yeah. Got so, it. You know, going into any reformed seminary and, and if there was a debate at that, any given moment that I could present full preterism to a PhD and, and, and try and win the debate and, and maybe win it. Um, but I like that, you know, I think that's cool. Um, but there's so much tradition. There's so many creeds and confessions that these people just, bottom line, that's, that's where they hang their hat on, which is interesting because the Westminster Confession of Faith says that the creed may be wrong as previous creeds have. Mm. So you would think of any community that would have humility, it would be the Reformed community because John Eck's argument against Luther was, how can you be right? Forensic justification hasn't been taught for 1,500 years in the church. And yet the Reformed community acknowledges, you know, that that was a work of God. So if it took 1,500 years for a work of God to take place with forensic justification, why is it so strange that only 500 years later, God's doing a work in Reformation with eschatology? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of... Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's fascinating because... You've had, a, I think the thing that hit me the most was like a foster, I say foster family. It wasn't a true foster family, but it was a family that took you in. Yeah. And my mom in a little bit too. But yeah. yeah. Even, even that, you yeah. know, I have a similar background. Mm. I had somebody that took me in as well. They were an atheist household. It was a really odd, it's, it's an <laughs> odd dichotomy, right. but um, to, to see that someone saw that in you and like, okay, there's something in you. That, that spark to send you to, to these, to technically the wrong school, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, but it was know, the God right does, school. God does that. That's to right. <clears throat> Talk about Jeff and God dips us into different air 
so that when he does lead us to the truth, we can now comfort others with the comfort we have. We can help them with the, we understand their position better than they do. Mm-hmm. And, and we may not like that. We, we might prefer that God just show us the truth, boom, as the first thing. But that's not always his plan. And he lets us go through these <clears throat> challenges and we have to wrestle with him in prayer to get answers and, and getting kicked out of this church and, you know, not fitting in here and there. It's a, it's a process. And through that process, we can now help other people intellectually and emotionally, you know, dealing with the loneliness and, and all these other things. And I, I get that all the time. You know, what do I do? I don't have a church. And, what, you know, so there's, I, you, I can't help you. You have to wrestle with God. All I know is that God is faithful. Mm-hmm. He will help you because he helped me. He will lead you, you know? Yeah. Do you think that's why, you know, isn't that what Israel means? Isn't that what it means? What is, is, am I wrong? Israel is one who wrestles with God or am I right? Uh, I'm not sure. Is I think David knows David, the answer to that, well, right? What? Well, yeah. Is he here? He is. What does Israel mean? Well, there's discrepancies there, but um, yeah, I think one of the one of the definitions I've heard is he wrestles with God. Mm, Jacob, yeah, yeah. So God's gonna have to touch your hip socket. It's gonna have to humble you. Yeah, and it won't be fun. Yeah. But I, yeah, I just I went to um, John Anderson's conferences for about ten years until he died. Mm-hmm. I heard a lady from Silver or somewhere that came several times and she told me about Mike Sullivan. Did you ever go to John Anderson's conference at Sparta? I went there one time. time? I went there to one time, yeah. But I know who the the lady is you're talking about. Um, We had a little home study and she she came for a little bit. It seemed like she, uh, as to her, had turned away from preterism. Yeah. I think she was kind of going because Buzz had the hots for her, and they were kind of. It was, it was kind of a dating thing, so that didn't last very long for them. <laughs> so tell me about the books. You've written two books. Yeah, the first one was a, a co-authored book by David Green, uh, Ed Hassert, and myself, called "A House Divided: Bridging the Gap in Reformed Eschatology," and it was a response to a seven Reformed theologians, some seminary professors, some very well-known pastors. Uh, Let me see if I can remember at least some of them. Uh, Ken Gentry, uh, Robert Strimple, Simon Kistemacher, Doug Hill, Doug Wilson, Richard Pratt. Missing somebody. Anyway, these very well-known guys, and they tried to refute full preterism. They called it hyper-preterism, right? Mm -hmm. And interesting enough, uh, it was a gift it was a gift given to us because my testimony and how I became a full preterist was the theology and the philosophy I wanted to use in refuting them. And, and I talked to David Green a lot about it. And I said, look, half of these guys are classic all millennialists and half of them are partial preterists. I said, so this is a win-win situation. They haven't refuted our position. They actually formed our position. Let me give you a few examples of that. Half of these authors would say that the coming of Christ in the Olivet Discourse, everywhere it's mentioned, whether it's Erechimai or Parousia, all right, that coming is the one second coming event. That's your classic all millennials. There's no 
preterism in there. Every reference to the coming of Christ is the second coming. Then you have the partial preterists that would say, well, the coming of Christ here is A.D. 70, and it was spiritually fulfilled. And then the, the uh, editor of the book, Keith Matheson, who was R.C. Sproul's right-hand man, he came out with a book uh, from age to age right before we published. And in it, he didn't divide Matthew 24 anymore. He was like Gary DeMar. So he took the coming of Christ in Matthew 24 and 25 as fulfilled in A.D. 70. So this is just a gift. And I'm like, this is easy. You know, if, if the coming of Christ in Matthew 24 and 25 is the second coming, but half of you guys are saying, but the other half is saying that it was fulfilled in AD 70, why can't I believe that you're both right? Mm -hmm. Explain to me why I'm a heretic. Lead me out of my heresy. Who, see, all they can do is point me into one of their directions. I can only believe one or the other. It's like a, he who controls the, the test in an exam, you know, controls the knowledge. So the test would be like, uh, well, is the coming of Christ in Matthew 20, 20, 24 and 25 the second coming, or is it Christ coming in AD 70? And that's the only option you get in seminary or Bible college. But there's C, both A and B are true. And that's where we are in full preterism. We're seeing that both of these Reformed views are true, and when we put them together, they form full preterism. I mean, on just about everything. The millennium, the second coming, the arrival of the new creation. I mean, you go through it. I can put a syllogism together and, and show that. And so that book came out. To this day, no one has responded to it. No one. I mean, I haven't seen anything. Keith Matheson told me he would respond to my chapter many, many years ago. Not a, not a bleep, not an article, nothing. And so now they realize that they're in trouble. And so they just kind of, the best thing that they can do is just not respond to draw any more attention to it because I think they just lost horribly in that exchange. Um, so that was just an awesome book. And I just thank God that I was a part of that project. And then the second book, of course, it was spawned here. I was invited to, to teach at the conference. And I was like, well, what am I going to teach on? And I just, I, I don't know how God even put it on my heart, but it was like, I want to do something with the Middle East because there's so much conflict there and it all revolves around eschatology. And I just started meditating. You know, do we have an answer to reform theology? Because that was the first book. I was like, man. And we have the answer to the charismatic issue, all right? Mm -hmm. Do we have an answer for the Middle East? And I was like, man, preterism really, really does. And so in that book, I just wanted to show, you know, that Islamic eschatology is trying to self-fulfill this end-time scenario in which the Mahdi and their version of the second coming takes place, and there's this end-time battle, right? Mm -hmm. And they win, and destroy all the infidels. Talmudic eschatology, which was really eye-opening to me, studying the Talmud, because it's just as violent as the Quran. It's just very hidden, <laughs> very hidden. And they have the same philosophy. <clears throat> you know, Gog and Magog is future. The Islamic world's going to surround them. 
and the Messiah is going to come. He's going to rebuild the temple, and he's going to destroy the Christians and the Muslims. And then, of course, you have the evangelical Zionists, dispensationalists here today, and Bob did a great job of talking about that. They want this war. Mm-hmm. You know, a John Hagee, uh, Hal Lindsey, all these guys are pushing for this war because they think that it's going to get them out of here. So I did that book. Do you think they really believe that? Huh? Do you think they really believe that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where the eyes roll back in the head and it's just kind of almost like a cult mentality. Because I've been around. Now, once they get exposed to preterism, I don't know how much of it they really truly believe at that point. Because I think God is dealing with their conscience. But without preterism in the mix, I... I, th- I really, truly think they believe that. Yeah. I know, because at Calvary Chapel, every year we'd have a prophecy update. I mean, it would be packed. Chuck Smith would go through the Olivet Discourse. And I remember after coming out of Bible college, listening to him, he would read Matthew 24 and he would jump into current events. And I was like, well, I just got done graduating your Bible college, being taught hermeneutics and expository preaching, and you're not doing anything. Yeah. And you're the head pastor. Right. So I started seeing right away that there were some, some red flags. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of them believe it. Believe it Yeah, very religiously. I was just curious because I know that um, once you get to a certain level at a, in a ministry at that height, that you're going to try to protect the bottom line. And in some cases, I think it's whether it's their reputation or it's their pocketbook. Yes. Because there is so much money involved. When you get to that level, let's just be honest, there's a lot of money at that level. And so they're trying to push their agenda. We know that John Hagee is a friend you know, of Israel, of course, oh, yeah. of the nation of Israel. Just how much money is exchanging hands? Does he really believe that? You know, I, I don't know. I've been on staff at several churches and there were, there were certain people that you would say, what about this person? What about, no, they, they stay. And then why do they stay? Well, because they give. Yeah, because and we yeah. have to we have to be careful what we say. We can't offend this person, so you can't say that, or we can't offend this person, so this isn't going to be in the production because these people these people pay. And it's funny listening you talk about Chuck Smith because I grew up in Southern California listening to Chuck Smith and then Greg Laurie, yeah, and I Greg. went to Greg's church. He was the first person that said, uh, "Oh, that's right, you're that Catholic boy. You need a personal relationship with Jesus." Uh-huh, right. Uh-huh. So you're talking about this stuff. I'm like, oh, well, we chewed the same dirt. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. I did want to get back to David Shelton real quick. Sure. Um, so after I read the book that he referred me to. The Parousia. Yes, The Parousia by James Stuart Russell. Um, some time went by and I started thinking, I was like, he was smiling at me when I was asking that question and he didn't answer the question. This guy knows the truth, but he's not teaching it. And again, I'm an all or nothing kind of guy, very zealous. So I write this letter to him and I say, hey, look, you know, thanks for the book. Uh, Answered all the questions I want. I'm glad I'm not crazy. But I said, why didn't you develop that the Oliver Discourse isn't divided? This is telling me that you know this because you smiled at me and you're not teaching it. And I said, it's your job if you're a pastor to preach the whole counsel of the word of God and to not fear men, and to only fear God. And I got this letter back from him, and he said, it was very, very funny, great sense of humor. He says, well, Mike, I'm glad I, I don't need the Holy Spirit anymore in my life because I got you. <laughs> and uh, I, just, I thought that was pretty good. 
And then, but then he just, he got just mean and nasty. He was like, you know what? But your view is only going to amount to a footnote in one of my books. And he said, the church is going to crush you and it's going to, it's going to tr- crush this, this heresy. And I'm like, really, it's a heresy because I think you believe it and you're just not teaching it. So I could tell right away that God was dealing with this guy. And, uh, Someone said you get mad sometimes before you you get there. Yeah, People go Glenn. through phases. That was Glenn, Glenn. said that. Yeah. yeah. So 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 David is going through this process where he's dealing with his conscience, he's angry. So he writes he writes me back that letter. So I write him back and I say, Hey, look, um, you know, I'm just gonna pray that God kind of deals with this between us and and that God will chasten you. And I cited Hebrews, you know, God chastens those whom he loves. And I said, I, I truly believe in my heart that you know the truth and you're compromising it. So, so let's, I said, I, I don't know for sure because I'm not God, but I'm going to pray that if this is true and what I've discerned is true, then that God will get your attention and however that will be. And uh, I left it at that. And then within a year, I ended up moving uh, downtown Sacramento and the hospital two blocks from me, he ends up in, uh, I guess he had a heart attack or a stroke. And so I was going to a church, um, I won't name it, or the, or the pastor. But anyway, I said, um, I said, guys, I want to take the worship team down there. And all I want to do is, is just do praise and worship with him. And I, I don't even know if this guy remembers who I am, because I didn't know the extent of his heart, heart attack. So we go in there, and we just start worshiping for like an hour. He just loves it. He, he loves it so much. And we talk, and... And we decide that we're going to have lunch when he gets out of the hospital. And we do. And I meet him in the parking lot. And I remember as we're walking into, into the restaurant, he says, Mike, I just want you to know something. I said, what's that? He says, you were right. He says, I did know that there's one second coming. And it was fulfilled in 8070. And I, I was just like, thanks, God. I mean, that's just awesome that you just dealt with this guy. And we just had a great conversation, man. And... Um, you know, from then on, he, he went to some Predators conferences, I guess, with Don and, and really shared that, you know, and even dealt with some theonomy issues in Matthew 5, I think, verses 17 through 18, and, which was awesome. But that was cool. And so, you know, God can get anybody. He can get a hold of anybody and just pray for people. Um, my method in sharing Preterism real quick is love people. Be patient. That's hard. For, for my personality, that's still hard, and I'm almost 55. You know, I, I wrestle with some immaturity in that area, but over time, uh, there's been some, some progress. But um, be patient. Remember, you didn't come to this overnight. And like Jeff, just give them a little bit, and then they'll come back with some more, and then give them a little bit more. And, but also use their sources of authority. If they're going to go to the creeds, Great. Did you see in the creed where the creed says that it can be wrong because other creeds have been wrong? Yeah. So you need to be open that it's wrong. So let's discuss if these passages in the creed are right or wrong. Let's look at the context and use their sources of authority, not just the creed, but their theologians. If I'm going to say the elements of 2 Peter 3 were the old covenant and they were burned up in AD 70, and someone looks at me like, you're a heretic. That's crazy. Well, what about John Owen? 
John Owen, of course, I've got his works, you know. (laughs) Well, why don't you read his sermon out of volume Mm -hmm. nine, pages 134 and 135. Tell me what you think. Um, Use their sources because they don't know you, you know. You don't have a lot of authority in their eyes. So use their sources of authority. And that's what we did in House Divided. We just, everything in my chapter, all I do is quote reform people to build the case. I'm not, I'm not using Don Preston or anybody else. And that's just the way I think to go. Mm, that's really cool, man. I can't, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on our podcast. That was really cool. Yeah. It's great that you, you don't live far from me. I wish I would have known that before I moved. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Me too. But, um, yeah, I really do. Uh, I really do appreciate you being here and sharing your testimony. And uh, I enjoy also your books. You know, um, you, they can go to fullpreterism.com uh, for our audience. If you want to, see, you can purchase those two books there that he uh, just mentioned. And uh, you can go to fullpreterism.com and you get them there. I, I think I've got like eight copies. I'll get you one, Ralph. Uh, I got or four copies of each. And then you gave me one extra copy of each, which was really yeah. cool. Providence, never know who it's going to go to. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, but hopefully here in the near future, we'll have something going on together. I know we live close and I know the greens are in Franklin. Yeah. The greens are awesome. Yeah. So we're thinking about trying to find a way, you know, to get together over there. And I look forward to that. I'm sure we can get Ralph to do it. We can take this with us. We'll get Andy to run sound. It'll be hilarious. Andy's not going to be happy because I just realized why I was hearing so much in my ear. This was set up for multi-track for my USB because it was on my computer and we're recording to a USB. So this is the only multi-track. The other two are all together. Oh boy. And he's going to hate editing that. Well, I got great news. Uh, he doesn't hate it because I have to pay for it. So the longer, <laughs> Oh no. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually mad at you. So <laughs> I'll joking aside. No, but thanks again, Mike. I really appreciate it. And uh, I guess that brings us to the close of the day. That was really mm-hmm. awesome. So Andy, you got a chance to meet Mike. Yeah. Whenever yeah. we were down there. Yeah. Um, I talked to him a little bit. He, you guys kind of got into like a thing, didn't well, you? Well, he kind of believes in the, 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 you know, the, the conspiracy about there being all, you know, people that have, it's not that I don't think people have undue influence on the world. Of course, massively rich people and corporations have undue influence on the world, but he believes, he believes some things that just sound silly and unsupportable to me. Yeah. But, yeah. I, so, so, well, so, but, anyway, but I, a nice guy. Oh, he's a very nice guy. And he yeah. said some things, and I invited him to uh, send me whatever he thought he could to support his. Have position. you received anything? No, but we haven't. I, I don't, I don't know. He knows where I am. I he suppose, probably, but. well, he definitely knows where Giraffe Studio is. He definitely has the address. So I think that you might just get things in the mail randomly. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> I'm curious. There's one specific point about something I wanted him to send me because I was like, that's interesting. Cite that. Yeah. You know, and that usually stops conversations. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I just want you to know, since we're wrapping up this final series, you know, that was really fun to go down there, you know, to Virginia Beach. And I, it was a whirlwind trip for you, I yeah. know, but yeah. it meant a lot to me that you were there. And I, I was really glad. I'm, I'm glad I could be there. And yeah. next time I will 
whatever it is, I'll be there for the whole thing. Well, so. we'll just, you know, I think what I'll do is just like book a whole thing. Like mm-hmm. I'll get a house with like 12 rooms oh, and then we can all just kind of so go, cool. bring our families with us or at least our wives with us to where they could chill on the beach for a couple of days while we're doing our work or whatever, you know, that might be kind of fun. You know I, mean? I think so. If it's I don't know. My wife would rather be at the beach than yeah. sitting, listening to recordings all yeah. day. Oh you no, know? my wife would not have anything to do with us. <laughs> But but if there's a close enough beach, it's possible that she'd come. <laughs> let's say let's go with possible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anyway, so thanks, Andy, for doing all this, and uh, I'm glad that we finally made it to the end. Not because it's over, but because you know it's been a few weeks, you know, and it's it was something that was I looked forward to a long time. I'm glad that we got through it, and yep. I hope you guys enjoyed this series. And uh, you'll be hearing from the guys in the future. I know Mike Sullivan's going to be coming back. I also know Bob Crookshank's going to be coming back late in the year. Mm-hmm. We got some really exciting people coming. Uh, Gary Demar's coming. I've been talking with Ed Stevens, and these are some these guys that have have written for years and years and years. It's just you yeah. Know, I feel very humbled by that. It's cool that they're willing to come here to Giraffe. You know, I love it. Yeah, that is cool. So anyway, well, thanks for being here. Thank you. We will talk to you next time on the Burrows of Berea. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.